This podcast is presented to you by the School of Divinity at Gardner-Webb University. The School of Divinity at Gardner-Webb University exists to prepare men and women for Christian ministry, namely the work of the Lord's Church. Our two degrees, the Master of Divinity and the Doctorate of Ministry, are carefully designed to equip and encourage ministers for the calling that God has placed on their lives. The Master of Divinity offers six concentration, and the Doctorate of Ministry can be obtained in either Christian ministry or pastoral care and counseling. Should God have called you to any number of ministry vocations, or if you aren't quite sure which one yet, you will find a place here at Gardner-Webb where, as one of our former deans once said, your heart and your head can be friends. Enjoy a dinner with faculty, observe a class, and immerse yourself in the life of our community by joining us for an upcoming Evening Master of Divinity Preview Day on February the 27th. Visit gardner-webb.edu backslash divinity for more information. This is the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship's Conversations. We are bringing you stories from across the fellowship through interviews with people doing groundbreaking work in renewing God's world. Ideas, stories, and innovation from ministers, authors, and practitioners from across the fellowship and beyond. This is Andy Hale. Before we get to our conversation, we want to make you aware of the next month's worth of episodes, including Caitlin Beatty of Christianity Today, the director of Faith for Justice, Michelle Higgins, The Atlantic's political and religion writer, Emma Green, and the creators of the Dwell Bible app. We hope you haven't looked past ChurchWorks. ChurchWorks is a three-day event for all practitioners of education and spiritual formation in a congregational setting. ChurchWorks creates space for renewal and ministry through practices of creativity, community, and working. To teach the people of God, educators need a place to be equipped, to be inspired, and to be renewed. This event will feature Dr. John Singletary. John is the dean of the Diana R. Garland School of Social Work at Baylor University. Church works will take place at Trinity Baptist Church in San Antonio, Texas, February 26th through the 28th. Visit cbf.net backslash cw backslash churchworks for more information and to register. Our guest for this week's podcast is Hannah McMahon, the executive coordinator of the New Baptist Covenant. Hannah is a twice-ordained demon deacon of Wake Forest University, earning a BA and Master of Divinity. I do have to point out that at the time of this recording, Hannah's deacons fell to my Duke Blue Devils, uh, so that must, must <laughs> get pointed out. Uh, she also earned a Master's in History at Old Miss. Hannah, thank you for uh, joining us for the conversation. Thanks so much for having me. I'm looking forward to it. Now, those that aren't familiar with your story, tell us a little bit more about you. Well, I grew up a Baptist um, all my life. I come from a family where my dad is a pastor and minister uh, and was the pastor in many Baptist churches kind of around the Southeast. We were in Kentucky for a time and Alabama, and then North Carolina um, for the longest time. Uh, And then after that, I went to a Baptist school and have just been really uh, intrigued um, by by Baptist and what I see as kind of my spiritual heritage and legacy and those who came before me. um, And just how we as a kind of crazy people work and 
work to find God in all of our uniqueness and in all of our stubbornness. Um, so growing up in a minister's family, church was kind of just always around me. We were, of course, there whenever the doors were open. And then on, on top of that, I liked going to the deacons meetings um, at a young age. I think I was eight and would just kind of tag along with my dad to go hear how the church worked and to kind of understand how it was that that these people were relating to each other and, and making decisions. And what was it that, um, that moved people? How was it that we came together as a community and all worked and lived together? Um, and that's just kind of been a, a lifelong interest for me um, in seeing how, how the church and specifically Baptists work and move together and, and followed that interest. Um, for a long time now into this position with New Baptist Covenant. Hmm. Now, at some point, I might need you to sit down with my two daughters and talk with them about the experience of being a pastor's kid. I just <laughs> you know, I want to prepare them for uh, for the present and for the future. Um, well, uh, tell us, how, how did you end up at New Baptist Covenant? Well, I was... Um, at Wake Forest University Divinity School, and we all had to do internships. And I heard about this thing that was coming up called the New Baptist Covenant, where it was something kind of coming out of Atlanta um, with Jimmy Carter being the convener and heading it up. Uh, and what they wanted to do is they wanted to bring together Baptists uh, and specifically looking at bridging the theological and racial lines. Uh, that for so long had separated Baptists. Uh, and I was really interested in particular um, with the way that they were taking on uh, the racial wounds that have been in our Baptist family and for so long were not addressed. Um, for so long, it's not something that we, we acknowledged and uh, we worked on and we, we owned the ways that we needed to to heal and confess and, uh, and grow together. So that was exciting to think about um, what are, you know, what are these people going to do down there um, to try to put their faith in action? Uh, and so I um, interviewed and uh, was hired to be the first intern uh, for Dr. Jimmy Allen, um, who uh, is a great inspiration and mentor for me. Uh, and was the first uh, coordinator for the New Baptist Covenant movement and pulled together uh, our historic 2008 meeting. Um, so I started off as an intern with the New Baptist Covenant. Um, and as I saw the work that was going on continued to just be moved and inspired um, by the good work of the movement uh, and would just kind of come on and off as they needed me. I was also in school at that time. And so uh, was just kind of helping behind the scenes um, uh, in any ways that, that they would need it. And then uh, when I was in school down at Mississippi, I was at a point, uh, I was hitting a breaking point in that educational degree and they asked me if I would come on full time. Uh, and so that's what brought me here. Hmm. That's hard to believe that over 10 years ago, President Carter brought together the prominent leaders from 
across Baptist family, it was representing, you know, 30 Baptist organizations, over 20 million people represented. It challenged Baptists to explore new opportunities for fellowship and cooperation. And from this effort, uh, a ministry of action named the New Baptist Covenant was born, you know, uniting Baptists and renewing our pursuit of unity and justice and, and local on the national scale. You know, and as, as you look back uh, these last 10 plus years, um, for you, why does the New Baptist Covenant matter? You know, I've, in working with the New Baptist Covenant, I feel like I get to have a front seat in seeing God working and uh, seeing God do, do big things uh, in the church. And that to me, uh, you know, in, in a time such as now, when we have uh, voices and leaders who would have us believe that um, we should fear our brothers and sisters, I think the New Baptist Covenant, um, the New Baptist Covenant shows a different way and is a voice for justice and is a voice for reconciliation, not just to be a part of a fight, but because that's where we actually find life in our faith. Um, I'm reminded of and often think of Koinonia Farms and Clarence Jurgen. And, you know, Koinonia Farms, of course, was an intentional interracial community set up in 1942 in Georgia and um, the Jim Crow South, Georgia, uh, where that kind of interracial community was not not smiled upon and they suffered from uh, violence and threats of violence and um, economic deprivation and, and a number of other hardships. Um, but despite all that, they came together um, in the midst of a very dark place, the Jim Crow South. They came together um, to be a demonstration. They said that they wanted to be a demonstration, a demonstration plot in the kingdom of God. And that's what I think about New Baptist Covenant. I think about New Baptist Covenant being a place where we can, can shine light um, in the darkness of fear and in the darkness of anxiety of saying that we don't have to fear our brothers and sisters. In fact, we are made for each other and we are made for community. Uh, and when we come together, not only, uh, not only can we share love with each other, but we also know more of God and coming together. You know, I believe that each one of us has a spark of the divine in us. And that when we come together, not only do I have my spark of the divine, but you can also, I can share that with you and you can share your spark of the divine with me. Um, and through that, we can all know more of God. Mm, that's powerful. You know, as I sit and I listened to you talk about the New Baptist Covenant before, and even just now listening to this, it you see it, it, it matters um, on a deep, soulful level for you. Um, you know, and as you face this work each day, um, leading um, this cause, what, what's the most challenging thing about your work? Uh, 
You know, <laughs> uh, there are many things that are challenging about this work, and there are many things that are rewarding about this work. Um, I think one of the most, no, there's, I'm going to say two challenges. Um, one is just pure and simple schedules. You know, the church and ministers, we, we are so highly scheduled in this day and age, and we all have our grooves and our patterns that it's easy to get locked into. Uh, and so asking someone to, to step out um, of their typical pattern and to do something new uh, is a challenge. Um, you know, that's also where we find great innovation and we find new surprises and new ways of knowing God. Uh, and so I think the challenge is worth it. Um, but the church is so highly scheduled, uh, you know, and, and then beyond church, everyone is tied up in, you know, baseball practice and piano recitals and, and all that you have it. But, but to prioritize, um, space for something new uh, is something that I think we all have to struggle with. Um, the other challenge I would say is, uh, is taking the first step. Um, I think oftentimes we don't want to admit where we are with race relations in this country. Uh, we don't want to admit that we may not know um, any churches of a different racial or ethnic background in our community. We may not know those pastors or those congregants. Uh, we may not want to admit uh, that we don't have people in our social circles of different racial or ethnic backgrounds. And we might be scared of, of saying the wrong thing or doing the wrong thing um, or, or making a misstep. Um, there's a lot of ways that fear can operate to keep us set in our grooves and to keep us set in our, the ruts that we can find ourselves kind of digging into. Um, and so it, it's challenging. It can be challenging to take the first step, to walk across the street or across the tracks and to meet someone uh, in your own community, who is, uh, who comes from a different background, extending your hand and welcome is scary because there is always the risk and the possibility um, that you won't be welcomed. But in that too, I think we have to lean back on, on what we see in scripture and what we are called to do, what Jesus calls us to do uh, is over and over and over again telling us to be not afraid and to love each other. Uh, and then it is our challenge to take that Christian call and that Christian commitment seriously. Hmm. What do you think gives you the most fulfillment in your work? Uh, it is the little moments of seeing, seeing people have, you know, epiphanies. Uh, or as the as Oprah and in the common parlance, the aha moment. Um, seeing people overcome that fear of connection, seeing people step outside of their comfort zones to find covenant community. And so 
we'll go in um, and talk with different pastors or leaders or um, laity and and just ask them about their stories and do storytelling. And it's amazing to me how much we hear over and over, you're just like me, and the ways that we find that common connection. You know, in, in the world that we live in, um, with 400 plus years of racial oppression uh, and injustice, there are so many reasons that we shouldn't trust. And there are so many reasons uh, for the dividing walls that are there. But seeing what is a privilege to me and was what is moving to me is seeing the ways that God works within that, within that darkness um, to overcome. And I always have the image of, you know, kind of when you see a sidewalk that is concrete and hard and seems um, impenetrable, um, but then seeing a little sprout of a plant come up through that concrete to see, you know, dandelions root up through the concrete. That's, that's what I feel like I get to see because there's not much reason why that dandelion should be able to grow up uh, in the hard and unforgiving environment of the concrete, but seeing the ways that people of faith uh, make cracks and make holes so that life can grow up in the hardness. As you think around your work, what, uh, where do you get your energy and, and motivation to do what you do each day? I think that this work is just, it's what I signed up for when I was baptized. Um, taking that seriously uh, and finding Jesus as a partner in it along the way. Um, you know, I, I do a lot of working. I do, I work way too much. I do a lot of planning. There's a lot that goes into it. Um, but I'm constantly humbled and reminded that this is God's work. Uh, and that's when I get lost in my head, uh, it, it is seeing the ways that I have not planned for some breakthrough to happen, or I didn't, uh, you know, foresee this. But to see the way that the Holy Spirit is moving uh, through people and in people, uh, it's just constant. It's an honor and it's humbling um, to, to get to see it, to get to be a part of it, to get to witness what God is doing uh, in our churches and for our communities. And I think, too, about uh, the many people who, who came before, and I'm so inspired uh, by the people who worked in situations uh, where they had to give up uh, way more than I have been asked to give up. I do not know how Fannie Lou Hamer continued to push on, but seeing that kind of strength is inspiring, you know, and wanting to be a part of people who live their life um, based on faith in a real way not just in a kind of rote faith uh, where nothing is on the line and no sacrifices are asked for, 
um, but to risk something big for something good. Uh, and, and taking that leap of faith in a way that you find and see God along the way, constantly meeting you. Um, that's what's inspiring. It's seeing, it's seeing the people of faith who have lived a life of faith that is not, um, it's not a theory, but it's in, it's in action. Uh, they actually put their life into their faith uh, and their faith into their life. This is a great place to pause and tell you about one of our other presenting sponsors, Campbell University Divinity School. Located in the heart of North Carolina, Campbell University Divinity School lives out its mission to be Christ-centered, Bible-based, and ministry-focused. Our school is known for preparing individuals academically, spiritually, and practically for ministry in today's world. We offer multiple master-level programs, including several dual-degree options, as well as a doctorate of ministry program. Our master divinity degree is flexible enough that individuals can build a program that best suits their interest and calling. Our students come from many different denominations, ethnic backgrounds, and age groups. They come because they share our mission and desire to be prepared for vocational ministry. Our students, faculty, staff, and alumni make up a beautiful community that supports each student in his or her journey. This kind of community is the one that's best experienced in person. We invite you to visit us and learn more about the programs and education experience we offer. A master level visitation day will be held on Tuesday, February the 6th. Learn more about Campbell Divinity at divinity.campbell.edu. April 4th will mark uh, 50 years since the passing of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., obviously a person who conveyed a, a dream of unity and equality and justice. In his final speech on April the 3rd, uh, King declared, now we're going to march again, and we've got to march again in order to put the issues where it's supposed to be. Force everyone to see that there are 1,300 of God's children here suffering, sometimes going hungry through dark and dreary nights, wondering how this thing is going to come out. That's the issue. Now, you studied racial religious violence in the Jim Crow South, specifically how Christian theology both supported and undermined the lynching culture of the South. So where do you think we are in pursuit of unity and equality and justice? We are not as far as we should be, um, but we're not where we were, and we have an opportunity at this time. I think at this time, uh, with the context that we're in, people, people see uh, the issues are all at the surface, and we can see the ways that racial injustice is depleting our society and ravaging our society. We can see the ways um, that this is everywhere. I think right now, too, you know, 2018 is an important year in a number of ways. It, it is, of course, the 50th anniversary um, of Dr. King's assassination. It's also the 50th anniversary of the Poor People's March. Uh, and this is a moment where we can once again come together uh, to lift up that idea of the beloved community uh, and realizing the dream, realizing the dream that Dr. King articulated, that Vernon Johns articulated before him and Nanny Helen Burroughs all the way back to Jesus. This once again for each generation, each generation gets to play a part in realizing this dream. And we are, you know, 
in an opportunity right now where we have the energy. And I think that we have people who are focused on faith um, being an active part of their life. And we also are in a time where we can see the injustices in a way uh, that we have not been willing to talk about them before. So we have the opportunity and I think we have the inspiration before us, uh, especially in this year. And so, and so I'm excited about the opportunities that are here. You know, I think back to the work that I did in Mississippi um, around the lynching culture and the way that the white Christian church was a part of the lynching culture. Um, there were, you know, KKK members would interrupt a sermon and walk down the front aisle in some churches to present the minister with a check, endorsing that minister. Um, and the church stood silent. The white church largely stood silent. That to me is just shocking and has me captured. The way that in the Jim Crow South, we have notable exceptions and, you know, those people are a great source of strength. Um, Clarence Jurgen, Will Campbell, others. Um, but largely the way that the white church was silent. We have an opportunity now to articulate a faith um, that is not silent on the justice issue of racism. And to me, that's core to faith. If we are going to not, if we're not going to say that we are all God's children, uh, that is just so anathema to me of Baptist theology, where the, the best of what I see in my Baptist tradition is that within our theology and polity, we had a radical interpretation of the priesthood of the believer because we believed in the individual and the divine presence within the individual and the individual's ability to be able to connect to the divine. And so the individual was important. And if we as Baptists aren't willing to stand up for the dignity of humanity, of our brothers and sisters, I think we really lose something about what our Baptist witness is about. Um, and so in this context where we, see, um, where we see our brothers and sisters of color being shot down in the street, in this context where there is economic where there are economic disadvantages and where schools are once again being segregated. We have an opportunity now as people of faith to say something that is core about our faith. And I think about the living with Christ. This last year, I, I feel like um, for those of us that have had our finger on the pulse, of the ongoing racism in this country you know events like charlottesville were just the the tip of the iceberg to say that um you know this is this is seen on a very public level but there's so much systematic racism that that continues mm -hmm. to take place um and, and you wrote some powerful words uh post charlottesville where you said 
it always feels weird also to quote somebody you're talking to. Um, we are clear <laughs> racism is a sin that distorts the soul, separating people from each other and from God. Racism always does violence, even if only sometimes it's physically manifested. As followers of Jesus Christ, we are called to proclaim recovery of sight for the blind and set the oppressed free. Anti-racism work is a gospel ministry and is a calling of every person who would call themselves a disciple of Christ. As you, as you think about uh, people on the, on the local church level, um, uh, keeping in mind um, the statement um, that you've made, I mean, what would you say to them on, of how, um, how they can make a difference, how they can uh, stand against the tide of, of racism that, that still is, is prevalent within our culture? Well, I think the first and most important thing is to reach out to your community um, and to make sure that you are in community with your community, that you know those around you and you understand how the community that you live in um, is affecting different parts of its members. Uh, And so for us, through the Covenant of Action program, that's what we really try to do. We really try to create a pathway for people to find each other and for people to know each other. Um, one thing that we do is we ask people to take a community inventory because we find so often, um, you know, people just don't know uh, the other Baptist churches in their community, um, especially the other Baptist churches in their community of a different racial or ethnic background. We don't have um, we don't have many common tables that we sit around, you know, and you, there's so many uh, parts to this question. Um, but part of what it makes me think about is, you know, you hear people talk about, I heard someone say once um, in speaking with someone who was talking about poverty um, in an exclusively intellectual way. Um, and their conversation partner said back to them, okay, so you're talking about this. Tell me her name. Tell me his name. Who is it that you're talking about? You know, putting flesh and blood um, on on these real life issues is so important. And so knowing how racism affects people who we love is important. You know, we sit down all the time with different pastors and just just ask them to tell their stories. You know, why are you here? Why are you sitting at a table with us when you know, you know, we're going to want to talk about racial justice and how the Baptist church is a part of that. Um, and hearing people tell their stories and, and hearing people as they're listening to each other's stories you know, I've, I've heard pastors who just genuinely did not know some of the experiences that ministers of a different racial or ethnic background were having. Um, there was one, we were sitting one time uh, with one uh, minister who was saying that, you know, she calls uh, an African-American minister who says she calls her younger brother, who is a teenager, once a week and asks him if he was picked up or if he was stopped by the police that week. Now, I am a sister. Um, 
and I have a younger brother and that hit something in me and I can't, I the kind of, you know, protectiveness that that brings out in me um, creates an opening for community and creates an opening for relationship. Uh, And so for us, where we really start is we start with relationship. There are lots of big, important conversations that we need to have about systemic injustice and racism. But we're going to be able to have those conversations in a truer and more deep way if we have some trust built up and if we can do that in the context of relationship. And so what we really try to do is we try to create an avenue um, for people to develop relationship through our Covenant of Action initiative. Uh, And so I'm sure we'll talk about that uh, in a little bit. But the basic idea here is finding a way to dig new paths um, so that we're not stuck in our same ruts, but we can find ways to be in community with each other. So the first thing that I would say to anyone who is who is interested in doing the work of racial justice would be in getting to know your community and reaching out uh, to your brothers and sisters of a different racial or ethnic background who, who live right around you. Um, the local scene matters and you can be a part of a major transformation in your own community. Uh, Jonathan Hate, who um, wrote a, a very powerful book, The Righteous Mind, Why good people are divided by politics and religion. And uh, one of the things he talks about um, is that uh, he's a, he's a psychologist and he talks about that, you know, we, we entrench ourselves into our political and religious uh, beliefs. And oftentimes one of the easiest ways to break down those barriers um, and to come to comments conversations is, is knowing the names of others who don't see eye to eye with you. Uh, and so, you know, that, mm-hmm. that statement you've made and, and it's part of this, you know, covenant of action is, um, you know, how can we love our neighbor if we don't know our neighbor's name? Um, how mm-hmm. can we love our neighbor if we don't know where our neighbor lives and we avoid um, that neighborhood, that street? Um, so, so as you think around this for local congregations, why, why should the covenant of action be an essential part of their identity, not just an initiative, but part of their identity? You know, it's a revival. It's returning to what I think is core in our faith. Um, And that's where we meet Jesus. It's when we're doing the big things and when we're stepping out in trust to be a part of God's mission that we more fully see God. Um, And so by doing big things, by taking on, you know, big challenges like racial injustice, Um, we find God there. You know, if we want to find God, we've got to go to where God is moving and working. And I think that God is moving and working over time in big challenges. And so to me, I think of, you know, there's a way that it's a, it's a revival and we wouldn't, need to keep having revivals if we wouldn't stop killing the church. You know, we need to, to be where God is. Um, and where I have found God is in working, um, 
is in working on the big things. And so there's a way that it is a spiritual discipline and a spiritual practice that calls churches and calls individuals into a deeper spiritual consciousness uh, and a deeper relationship with God and in our community. I think it was St. Anselm who talked about uh, relationship with God and relationship with others as like the spokes on a wagon. And so as you get closer, if you're on one of the spokes and out at the center, as you get closer to the center where God is, you're also getting closer to the other spokes and so closer to other people. And so as we connect with each other and come together, um, that's where we find God in those times where we get together and we have to, we have to work with each other. We have disagreements and we have to work through how are we going to stay in relationship with each other uh, and how are we going to love each other in these con in these contexts and in these hard and sometimes painful times. Um, those challenges make us bigger and make us better and make us more open to seeing God. Now, where does New Baptist Covenant's Justice Equality Initiative come into play? So the Justice Equality Initiative uh, is a way for churches to have a prophetic witness around mass incarceration. Uh, mass incarceration is a heart issue for President Carter. Uh, much of the prison industrial complex um, really ramped up in a new way after his presidency. And so that is something that he has been very concerned about. Um, and especially when we talk about justice issues uh, where black and brown people are um, unfairly um, are unfairly tried um, and uh, unfairly put into prison in uh, numbers that are not proportional to crime. Um, you know, that is one of the biggest vestiges of uh, the U.S.'s slave system that still hangs with us and haunts us. Uh, and so it, it is a major issue of faith to be able to, to speak out against racism. And so uh, the Justice Equality Initiative is a toolkit that gives pastors um, resources to talk with their congregations about mass incarceration. And so there are great resources in there about a theology around um, redemption and a theology around restitution. Uh, because we as people of faith, what are we as people of faith if we do not believe uh, in redemption? If we don't believe in redemption, then, you know, what's the point of us being called a Christian people? Um, and so living into that, the Justice Equality Initiative allows churches to have to apply that language that we already know so well. Um, we know about the path of salvation being about confession and repentance uh, and restitution. Uh, and, and so it's the Justice Equality Initiative allows pastors to see that framework within the context of the prison industrial system. It also provides a template for churches who want to uh, create um, returning community 
uh, returning citizen communities. So those who want to help uh, men and women coming out of prison uh, to get them back on their feet and um, to welcome them back into society. Is there a think around this initiative? Is there a, a story of a church or an individual that has um, put much of this into action? Well, I have to say, uh, Dee Dee Coleman, um, who is one of the chief architects um, of the uh, Justice Equality Initiative, um, and this is a wonderful resource that we're so proud to promote that actually comes from the Progressive National Baptist Convention, one of our um, very dear and cherished partners uh, in any KC Foundation. And so Dee Dee Coleman has been working um, on mass incarceration and prison industrial reform for quite some time. Uh, and in working with uh, those formerly incarcerated individuals, the returning citizens, you know, she really talks about the way that you get to see up close what redemption looks like. Uh, and, and to see, you know, on this level in a small way, if I can see it here, how much more is it that God, uh, that God's work of redeeming and reconciling us to God's self um, is possible and is, is something that God is actively working on. So what's next for the New Baptist Covenant? Well, next, this is uh, 2018 is going to be a year of celebration for us. So 2018 is um, the 10-year anniversary of our um, inaugural New Baptist Covenant celebration. And so we are coming together again in the fall um, to, to thank President Carter for launching this dream and this idea. You know, President Carter, of course, has been uh, an important Baptist figure who um, oftentimes articulated a Baptist position um, that not many people expected, uh, but has been a, a tried and true leader um, for Baptists uh, who, who their faith matters. And so we are going to be coming together to celebrate his life and his witness uh, and looking for that to happen in the fall. We'll also be continuing in our work of equipping and um, nourishing ministers uh, to be able to do this work of racial justice. And so we'll have uh, various training opportunities and resources for local churches, pastors, and laity who are interested in doing the work of racial justice. That sounds fantastic. If you want to stay connected um, with Hannah and the New Baptist Covenant, um, you can visit newbaptistcovenant.org. Uh, they're also on Facebook at New Baptist Covenant. Twitter gets a little more tricky. It's at New Bapt Covenant. Uh, but of course, you can just search for it in the search bar and find them there. Um, a wonderful initiative, a wonderful partner uh, to follow, uh, to learn from. Um, Hannah, thank you so much for your leadership, and thank you so much for all that the New Baptist Covenant has done for the kingdom of God. Thank you, Andy. Appreciate what you're doing. 
This podcast is brought to you by David Carell of Universal Creative Concepts. At UCC, they specialize in partnering with churches and ministries like yours to provide quality products for your logo and branding. David likes to find the right products that represent and fit your desired need and budget. UCC can logo virtually any product that you might be looking for. Need apparel like t-shirts, jackets, polos, socks for staff, youth groups, conferences, or for many other branding needs? UCC is your one-stop shop. UCC can provide all logoed items that you use for visitors, from pins to drinkware, or tees for VBS. David desires to be your go-to guy for all items logoed. On a personal note, I've been using David at Universal Creative Concepts since 2009, and I hope you will give him the opportunity to serve your promo needs. Whatever you want logoed, David does it. Contact him today at 1-888-GO-TO-GUY or 888-GO-TO-GUY.net. That's 1-888-GO-TO-GUY or 888-GO-TO-GUY.net. Hey, you won't be disappointed. Well, that's our episode. We'll see you next week. Visit cbf.net for more information about the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship, stories about our field personnel, chaplains, and church starters, as well as our advocacy work around the world. 